Revelation chapter 12, and our topic is Satan and Satanism, and this is number five, and uh, we're getting into very interesting material today. Uh, <coughs> we will, this afternoon, get into the defeat of Satan, and we've got some things to wrap up from last week, but let me read Revelation 12, and uh, you'll know why uh, this afternoon when I talk about it a lot. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and gave, and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his heads, and he, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child, with a capital C, that's Christ, as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. So it goes immediately from the birth, the incarnation, immediately to ascension and enthronement. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, <clears throat> where she had a place prepared by God that she should feed, that they should feed her there 1,260 days. And war broke out in the heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was any place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast out with him, and the angel, his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death therefore rejoice O heavens and you who dwell in them woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that his time he had, that he has a short time now when the, egg, the dragon saw that he had been cast onto earth he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child that's the church. But the woman was given two wings of an eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she nourished for a time and times and a half a time from the presence of the serpent. <coughs> and I'll stop there. I'll, I'll read verse 17. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who kept keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to go into all the details about that. Uh, we're just going to focus on what it teaches us about Satan's activity in the New Covenant era. Now, we're continuing last week. We had a, one more thing to do, and that was point number, number sub-point number two. And here we're just talking about some application on Satan's... We're still talking a little bit about Satan's procedure. What is he trying to do? What is he trying to achieve? We know that he accuses the brethren. We know that he's a great liar. We know that he uh, is in, in favor of death and destruction. And uh, what is he trying to do to espouse those, to further those methods on society? Well, number two, there's a great rejection of the biblical definition of the heterosexual nuclear family. We talked about the state last week a little bit. And lawful sexuality in favor of um, the sexual revolution. <coughs> Liberation, with quotes around it, and anarchy. The only limitation on sexual practices is what is deemed acceptable to the community. The headship and authority of fathers is denied. 
covenant headship, which is a very important principle. Um, and I saw, I saw in it, uh, Doug Wilson, who I'm not a big fan of. Uh, I have a whole series of sermons against this book. He's a supporter of the Federal Vision Heresy. But uh, he was interviewed by NBC News, and uh, they were just obsessed with this idea that he believes that wives should submit to their husbands, like as if that's a barbaric thing. <laughs> and uh, it's not. The headship and authority of fathers is denied, teaching young men and husbands not to assert a moral and spiritual leadership in the home, to preserve faithfulness to Christ, biblical values to the next generation, and biblical values to the next generation. The idea that sexual practices must be limited to heterosexual marriage is denied in favor of a virtually unrestrained hedonism and selfishness. Hedonism is the worship of pleasure. You make yourself God. You live for pleasures. You live to fornicate. You live to have unlawful sex with other men if you're a man. You live to be a, per a pervert. That is idolatry. And that is the, the, found, the foundation of abortion. It's not the liberation of women, because half the babies being murdered are women, or females. The point of it is this lifestyle of hedonism and selfishness. I want to do what I want to do. And this baby here, uh, who I have because I was a slut or whatever, if you're not married, uh, I'm going to murder it so I can have more money and more pleasures. <clears throat> so sexual per perversions have become the norm and the anti-familialistic state has legalized and praised perversions, lawlessness, and criminality. The so-called liberated woman denies her position as a helpmate to the husband, denigrates motherhood, and the raising of children for the corporation and materialism. How unfulfilling, how unnatural to forsake motherhood to further your career at the corporation or whatever it is. So women delay having childbirth until they're almost 40 because they're trying to make it in the corporation. Then they have trouble having children because they've waited too long and so forth. It's all vanity. On your deathbed, you're not going to be thinking about your, uh, how much money you made at the corporation. You'll be thinking about your children, if you have children. The satanic law structure of secular humanism views the Christian family as evil and a danger to society. Therefore, warfare is implicitly waged against the Christian family while parents, while perverts and wicked lawbreakers are protected. And once again, the Republican Party is bad in many areas, but the Democratic Party is explicitly satanic and anti-family. Anti-family. They're running on, now, they're running on abortion. That's their big thing. They're running on abortion in the elections only a few days away. They're running on abortion, which is infanticide and, and murder. It's absolutely hideous. And they're running on the lie that uh, we're voting about democracy when they're the ones who are having the FBI lock up Roman Catholics who simply go to abortion clinics and uh, maybe carry a sign and say a few prayers. Uh, they're, they're such a threat. They're, they're locking people up. They're using the FBI and they're using the Justice Department to lock up their uh, people. They're the threat to democracy. They're the threat to a constitutional republic, not the Republicans. 
So warfare is waged against the Christian family while perverts are praised. Abortion on demand, state schools, sodomite marriage, the transgendered perversion, no-fault divorce, the legalization of sodomy, fornication and adultery have all been adopted as assaults against biblical law and the Christian family. The official position of the Democratic Party is abortion, that is killing the baby, until the very moment of birth. Europe doesn't even go along with that. They have limitations. And that's just disgusting. If you've ever seen uh, an unborn baby, it, it's clearly a baby. It's not a tumor. It's murder. Satan and his soldiers have been very active in politics, economics, and the family, and tragically have been very successful. For once men abandon Yahweh, the true and living God, they are left wide open for demonic suggestion, creativity, lies, and oppression. Post-Christian societies, Europe, Canada, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, Russia, the United States, have been especially affected by demonic influence and have taken the lead throughout the world in legalizing, advocating, and spreading homosexuality, transvestite behaviors, and the transgendered movement. And once again, this, this, this great myth that spread... Uh, that you know, Russia's fighting against Ukraine because they're satanic and Russia's virtuous because Russia, apparently, they've outlawed homosexuality. Uh, that's just a complete myth. Russia has nightclubs uh, where people have sex on stage. Russia, Russia's full of gross perversion and sexual immorality, and homosexuality is still rampant. It's, their laws are not really applied. It's, it's just all a big farce. And, of course, murder, rape, and pillage is very wicked. By rejecting the true knowledge of God, Jesus Christ, and the moral law revealed in special revelation, the inspired, infallible word of God, the Bible, for pagan mythology of macroevolution, which is more in common with shamanism and mysticism than science, such societies have sinned against greater knowledge. They possess not simply a pagan worldview, and this is critical, but an apostate one. See, you're, you're in a worse condition. If you were uh, never Christian at all and you're just a rank pagan and you have shamans and you're practicing shamanism and witchcraft, uh, you're far less culpable and wicked in God's sight than a nation that rejected special revelation, that rejected Jesus Christ, and is now apostate. Because those societies are much more hostile to Christianity. They've sinned against greater knowledge. They possess not simply a pagan worldview, but an apostate one. Therefore, their judgment will be greater and their punishment in the present will be even greater. There will be more demonic influence, chaos, and oppression. And this casting off of the truth to apostasy and a greater demonic oppression is taught by our Lord in Matthew twelve forty three to 45 Listen carefully. This is Jesus speaking. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man... He goes through dry places, seeking rest, and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Now listen to this. So shall it be with this wicked generation. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about the Jews, the apostate Jews. 
when philosophy is divorced from the biblical worldview and political power is divorced from godly authority, a nation becomes progressively more demonic and comes under even greater judgment. Now think about this once again. Think about our culture. Oh no, we don't need the Bible. We don't need Jesus Christ. We don't need to bow the knee to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's what we're told. We need a secular society. We need atheistic naturalism. We need secular humanism and everything will be solved. And what do we have? Murderers are not put to death in 99.9% .9 of the cases. We're talking about convicted, guilty, first and second degree murders are not put to death. Babies are slaughtered over a million a year, still in the United States. It used to be even more. Over a million year, a year, a year are murdered in the United States. The heterosexual nuclear family where the father had authority in the home, that's gone by the wayside. We have ridiculously high divorce rates and ridiculously high fornication and adultery rates. And then we have the legalization and praise of sodomy and all these perverted practices. And now we can't even define what a man is or a woman is. And the criminals are the good guys and they're treated with kid gloves and they're not even locked up. And citizens who are trying to do their labor, do their work, and have some leisure are murdered and raped and, and beaten up and all sorts of things and robbed and they lose their rights. That's our society. That's the democratic plan, which is totally satanic. George Soros is behind a lot of this with his money. He's one of the most satanic men in history. The rejection of Christ in the biblical world and life view by a society and culture is to be avoided at all costs. Once a society pushes away the Son of God and His authoritative word, something dark and demonic will come and dwell in that house. There can be no spiritual, ethical, or philosophical vacuums in people or society. Conservative Christians in the West who bought into the myth of neutrality are discovering this truth the hard way. Okay, this idea, well, you know, we, don't, we can keep religion out of politics. We can keep religion out of the schools. Let's just be neutral. And yeah, we should maybe maybe we should follow natural law, whatever that means, however you want to define it. Let's just follow natural. Let's leave the Bible out of everything. What does that get you? Well, it gets you people that have committed violent crimes being released 25 times to rape and murder women on the streets. What does it get you? 65 million dead babies slaughtered for the sake of being a whore so people can have more fun and have more money. The amount of babies that are supposedly killed because uh, of the, the life of the mother is, if, if, if it exists at all, it would be 0.000001%. It almost never happens. Gross sexual perversions are now peddled to small children in public schools as young as five years old. Five, six, seven taught to be that transgendered is great. Being a sodomite pervert is great. That's wonderful. Conservative Christians in the West who bought into the myth of neutrality are paying the price. Gross sexual perversions are peddled. Such an education is demonic, yet most professing Christians still send their children to state schools. You know, in the old days, they might be taught socialism. 
They might be taught uh, that state theft was good. Nowadays, they're taught all kinds of crazy things. Although we will have more application in the final section of our study, there are a few things to briefly note regarding Satan and his demons' tactic on individuals. We'll have a whole section of on the end, on the end dealing with that. There are a number of things that demons seek to do, especially against Christians. Number one, <coughs> Satan wants to get people to doubt the word of God and then completely deny it and replace it with some expression of humanism or autonomy. This was his procedure with Eve in the garden. And you can go on YouTube, and on YouTube there are all kinds of atheists and secular humanists who have all these things on why the Bible's full of myths and why the Bible's wrong and why the Bible can't be trusted and why the God of the Bible's evil and why Christians are stupid idiots. And Those people have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. And believe me, I've studied the Bible very thoroughly. I was a philosophy major. I've studied Immanuel Kant and Hegel and, and, and the empiricist, all that stuff. The Bible is absolutely self-authenticating and absolutely true, and we're, we can rest assured of that. Now, the temptation of Eve contained three elements. This we ought to know. First, the devil sowed doubt. Has God indeed or really said? Genesis 3.1. You sure about that, Eve? You sure God means what he says? You sure he really said that? Nah, it doesn't make sense. That doesn't seem rational. Second, the word of God is outright denied. Genesis 3, 4, you will not surely die. Sin is a good thing. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Have fun, Eve. Don't deny yourself a good time because of the word of God. Are you stupid, Eve? Come on. And then third, a reward is offered for rebellion against God and his word. You will be like God. This is Genesis 3, 5. Knowing or determining for yourself good and evil. You see, one must first disbelieve the word of God in order to accept satanic presuppositions. Satan seeks to remove faith in the truth so that faith can be extended toward the lie. The foundation of Satan's position is that man, man in his thinking, analyzing and determining, is ultimate and autonomous. What's so ironic and funny about all this is, well, it's not really funny, it's very sad, it's tragic, is these, these people who are totally satanic always are appealing to facts and science. They're not factual at all. They're not scientific at all. The Democrats, for example, in this, this election... They don't run on their record at all. They don't appeal to the facts at all. They appeal to nothing but lies. The Democrats, the Republicans are here to take away your freedoms and to deny democracy. That's all a bunch of nonsense. Yeah, a couple of nutcases entered the Capitol and did some stupid things. Trump can be an idiot sometimes. But nobody is, none of those things are true at all. They have nothing to run on, so they run on nothing but lies. That's the Democratic Party today. And... Almost 50% of the United States population is behind that. So much for science. So man is to be the final reference point in predication. This foundational rebellion is based on certain de demonic presuppositions. Number one, 
This is what Satan teaches. There is no creator-creature distinction. The universe and everything in it, including man, came about by chance or pure contingency. Facts are not God-created and God-controlled facts. They are brute facts. They just simply exist. They can only be defined and given meaning by autonomous human reason. That is, human reason that rejects the Bible a priori, without even considering it, and autonomous empiricism. Now, the problem with assumption is twofold. A, think about this. If all the facts, the universe, and everything around us came about by chance, if it all is a product of chance, and man himself is a product of chance, then real meanings and definitions are at best relative and temporary, for a universe in flux has no fixed reference point. So they stand on the theory of macroevolution to push God out of the picture, but then they turn around and they steal from the Christian world and life view and act as though there are fixed facts, there are real laws in nature that we can study and that are unchanging. But if everything came about by chance, there are no facts. There's nothing but flux. There is no real meaning. It is like, as Van Til would say, it is like a man made out of water climbing a stairway of water, walking into a sky of water. If the infinite personal God of Scripture does not exist and did not create the universe and all factuality, then true, real science and knowledge cannot exist. Human systems are really only limiting concepts, imposed theory, and subjective organizing principles. In other words, there is no there there. Where is the beef? There is no truth. It's all simply approximations. It's all simply organizing principles that are not fixed. They're not fixed. They're not, they're not eternal. In other words, there is no real knowledge. And you can go on the internet, and if you study physics and modern science, there ha there's a debate, are there multiverses? Does the universe really exist, or is this all simply an illusion? And the ethical aspect of this is quite simple, where scientists and psychologists and psychiatrists, they all support sodomy, uh, homosexual agenda, they all support the transgender agenda, because it's not scientific at all. There's nothing scientific about a man, somebody born a man with male genetics and male genitalia and male hormones and male this and male that, claiming he's a woman because he thinks he's a woman. They don't say that a man who thinks he's an alligator is really an alligator. It's just all arbitrary. It's all complete nonsense. Number two. This is according to satanic presuppositions. Man must occupy the place of God in orthodox Christian theology, the place that God holds in true Christian theology, in his determinations of truth, meaning, and ethics. In other words, a fact can only really be known, that is, the, the thingness of a thing, of a re each thing, if each fact is known in rel relation to all other facts, as well as in all other times. In other words, an unchanging definition, genuine definition of a thing presupposes omniscience and omnipotence. And I'm going to be, I'm, I'm not going to go into detail to explain all this, but it's the old Greek problem of the one and the many. The old Greek problem of the one and the many. 
and the Greeks solved this by simply making up this realm of ideals. There's an ideal chair that exists in the realm of ideals, and they, they placed ethics in this sphere. The ideal of, but modern people who reject uh, reject that and believe in evolution can't appeal to that. For them, it's just simply arbitrary. This reality is not a problem for Bible-believing Christians who believe the universe is created by God and is controlled and upheld by His power. We know true truths and have real ethical absolutes as well as a genuine science if we think God's thoughts after Him, if we base everything on the God of, on the Bible. If the God of the Bible is not believed and then presupposed, then reason is a pure abstraction that has no genuine contact with the facts, and facts are pure abstractions that have no real contact with right reason. Now, I don't have time to go into this. If you go on reformedonline.com, read my book on, um, I have a book on natural law where I, I destroy attempts to get away from the Bible and follow simply natural law by itself without biblical revelation, and I get into these arguments. But people don't realize how absurd atheism is and the atheistic version of science. It's not scientific at all. It's purely theoretical and it's based on their presuppositions. How can they claim that homosexuality is natural? How can they claim that it is scientific? When the male body was not designed, it doesn't have a sex organ uh, like a female does for a man. So they use the exit, they use the rectum, which is disgusting and perverted. We see that biblical Christianity is the only position that does not make nonsense of knowledge and human experience. Unbelievers appear to have some knowledge because A, they steal concepts from the Christian world and life view. Whenever they talk about ethics, they're borrowing from the Christian life, life view. Because if the world evolved from pond scum, if we evolved from pond scum and everything came about by chance, ethics are simply a, an illusion. There is no such thing as ethics. And then B, they must live and function in God's created universe. Therefore, God's created reality forces them to follow certain God-established principles or they will suffer horrible consequences. So they have what I call a purely functional surface or coincidental knowledge. Let me give you an example. Uh, you have this weird view of modern physics and you believe that, well, the stuff is not really there. It's, it's all an illusion. But you don't, when you go rock climbing, you better assume the Christian world and life view when you go rock climbing or you'll go splat. And the same thing with ethical principles. If, if you don't follow biblical ethical principles, your life will be turned into hell. And we see this in the inner cities. We see this in the cities controlled by democratic politicians. They've rejected the Bible. They've rejected God. They've rejected Jesus Christ. They're following the devil and they're following demonic principles. And the, the cities they control are totally disgusting and terrible. I used to go to San Francisco all the time. I used to be from California. We, and and I, I went there with my children, oh, about not even 10 years ago. And you could walk across the Golden Gate. We walked across the Golden Gate Bridge. You could walk around Chinatown. You can't go there now. You'll be dodging needles and human feces, for one thing. And it's almost guaranteed that your car will be broken into. It's just simply not safe. It's dangerous. Because the people who are, the Democrats who control these cities have a demonic worldview. Now, they get this philosophy from uh, Marxism, and they get this philosophy from applying Marxism to the theories of racism and, and inequity and all this nonsense, but it all comes from Satan in the beginning.
And we must remember, all sin and rebellion against God is the fruit of unbelief. And when you get a chance to read three Hebrews 3, 12, 16 to 19, 4, 2, and 6. In Western societies, science was used by intellectuals to cast doubt on the veracity of the word of God. These highly theoretical and speculative theories were accepted as factual and still are. Evolution is a theory. They have no idea what happened, how the universe began. They have no idea uh, whether... Uh, single-celled organisms developed into man. They can't prove it, and they have no idea. And the evidence, the fossil record, is decidedly against it. Species appear out of nowhere, fully formed. There is no evidence for evolution. The fossil record does not teach evolution. It teaches creationism. But their presuppositions won't allow them to view things in that way. So they teach that the early chapters of Genesis were nothing but myths. Eventually, such theories led to the mainline churches denying the inspiration. That is, the, the, the scriptures are God-breathed, they're given to us by the Holy Spirit. Infallibility and the authority of scripture. The Bible was replaced with secular humanism, positivistic ethics, and statism. Foolish scientists, intellectuals, educators, and churchmen made the fatal mistake of not studying reality through the lens of Scripture, but instead subjected the Bible to autonomous human reason and autonomous empiricism wedded to atheistic, unbelieving presuppositions. Anything that scientists affirm that contradicts the Word of God is wrong and will be disproven by a proper use of science. Now, there are all these PhDs, Christian PhDs, who are out there and are, and are doing films and, 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 and videos and excellent books proving creationism. And they're using science. And they're looking at the fossil record. And they're looking at the complexity of human cells and so forth. Ken Ham and the Creation Institute and all these wonderful people are doing these, these excellent studies. And they've established beyond a shadow of a doubt that creationism is true and macroevolution macroevolution did not occur and is in fact impossible. They've proven that. But when it came before the courts, and I think it was a Kentucky school or Tennessee, one of these states had a, court, a, a thing back 20 years ago or so, and the court just simply ruled, well, that's religious. It can't be scientific. But secular humanism is a religion. Everything is based on ultimate concerns and presuppositions. So they ignored tons of factual evidence simply based on a presupposition. The rejection of the word. In the ethical realm, leading to sin is seen in what, when men twist scripture in order to justify sin. For example, the explicit prohibitions against homosexuality are said to apply only to either promiscuous homosexual behavior, that's one of their arguments, or only to cultic prostitution, even though the context discusses neither position. Another common example is that premarital sex is perfectly acceptable if people are in love and are committed to each other. That's taught. And the liberal mainline churches don't discipline people for homosexuality. They don't discipline people for premarital sex. They don't discipline people for homosexual behavior. They don't discipline people for transvestitism and cross-dressing and, and transgender perversion. They don't do it. They've abandoned the law of God for secular humanism. But once again, the Bible says no such thing. 
In addition, Paul following Christ is that real biblical love refuses to violate God's moral law. 1 Corinthians 13, 5-6. And I'll tell you, people who follow hedonism, the people who follow secular humanism, uh, it may be fun for a while, but it leads to chaos and destruction. It destroys marriages. It destroys families. Solid Christians don't get divorced. Because their view of love is based on the word of God and the law of God. It's not based on simply emotions. Emotions go up and down. Emotions can be bad one day and good another day. We don't follow our emotions. We follow the word of God. Then if you follow the word of God, you obey it, your emotions will get in the line. But you don't base things on subjective opinion or subjective emotions. You base things on the word of God. People who commit adultery and then get divorced will at times say that they need to follow their heart and be honest with their feelings. But when feelings contradict scripture, they are unlawful and evil. We can rest assured that any behavior that contradicts God's moral law is wrong and evil. Equivocations and scripture twisting never justify unbelief or disobedience. People in love with their sin who are unwilling to repent become experts at self-deception. Do the, Dem do the Democrats really believe these crazy outlandish lies about Republicans? Do they really believe Republicans are going to murder your children and set up a state like Hitler did? Do they really believe that? If they do, they're, they're thoroughly self-deceived and they're living in la-la land. The stuff they're spouting is insane and it's faithfully covered by the liberal media. It's faithfully covered. In the old days, the liberal media was still liberal, but they tried to, they at least tried to be somewhat objective. And when Democrats did things that were immoral and greatly, incredibly stupid, they would point it out. They don't do that anymore. Number two, we're talking about how Satan operates on individuals. Satan and his minions focus their attention on a Christian's problem areas. For example, anger. Some people have a problem with anger. Some people are lazy, unlawful lust or covetousness, worldliness, materialism, etc. In order to get them first to commit sin in the mind. And this can occur without demonic influence, but they will certainly seek to exploit such weaknesses. Here's what James says, James 1.5. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived... It gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Now, demons cannot put unlawful lust in the heart. That's part of your sinful nature. But they can offer suggestions as to why one should not resist temptation, or, why, or as to why violating God's law is acceptable under the present circumstances. Because of our flesh or sinful nature, see Romans 7.23, we can be stimulated or excited by an unlawful object. The Christian's job is to nip sinful lusts in the bud before they break forth into sinful actions. The demon's purpose is to convince the Christian to continue toying with lusts in the heart, continue thinking about them, so that lust gives birth to sin. Demons cannot force or cause a Christian to sin, but they will lie, twist scripture, and offer excuses as to um, why one why you should sin. 
to know their know their operating procedures. They're always there's always an excuse for a sin. Now these excuses are unacceptable to God, and we should never even toy with such excuses. When God says that A is wrong, A is always wrong. There are no excuses. There are no excuses for fornication or adultery. There are no excuses for theft. The Proverbs condemn the poor man stealing, as well as the rich. People who know that something is wrong and sinful and have made a decision in the heart to go ahead and do it usually justify sin with all sorts of excuses. This area of self-deception is one in which demons are experts for they have thousands of years of experience. That's where this thing, well, they're not married yet, but they're having sex. But we're in love. We're committed to each other. It's okay. We're in love. No, it's not. You're not married yet. I'm a man. I like I, I like sweaty men. I like naked men. No, there's no excuse for that. Your feelings, you know, this idea that well, I was born a homo. Uh, since you're born a homo, then you can act as a homo. No, no if you have unlawful lust for other men, uh, you suppress that, and you put on you you reject that, and you put on the opposite. You develop love for a woman, and you become a faithful husband to a woman, and when you want to have sex, you have sex with your wife. The Bible never justifies sin. Demons are experts at justifying sin, and people who sin almost always sin with excuses. Now, obviously, somebody who's an atheist, who's a total pagan, says, I don't care what God says. I'm going to do what I want to do. But people who have been raised, whether a Roman Catholic or in some religious sect or uh, they're professing Christians, uh, they're going to make excuses. Don't listen to those excuses. Reject them out of hand. <clears throat> it is during these times of temptation when we must reject our own feelings and desires and stand firmly on the word of God. James says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, and your you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's James 4, 7-8. So the way to submit to God is to trust in his word and submit to it. Obey it. If we are studiously obey the moral law, we will say no to temptation and sin. When Satan and his lies are resisted using biblical means, he will flee. When God is approached through Christ, he will meet that approach. And we're going to examine. Uh, we're, we will examine opposing temptation in the devil when we exam. We're going to when we get to the end of the study. We're going to look at Ephesians six. 13 to 18, where Paul goes into detail, but we'll end there. When we come back, we'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to look at Satan's defeat and final doom, and we'll spend a whole sermon looking at that. Satan is a defeated foe. Christ at the cross and the empty tomb uh, crushed the head of the serpent. Satan has been definitively defeated. He's been cast out of heaven. So we'll look at Revelation 12. We'll look at the passages of the New Testament that speak of this. It's an extremely interesting material. So uh, let's take a break, but uh, let's Let's meditate on what we just learned. Father, we thank you for your word. Increase our faith in it and cause us, by the power of your Holy Spirit in our hearts, to obey it, to love it and obey it. Bend our hearts when necessary. Yes, we're tempted. Yes, we have a sinful nature. We hate that. We hate that there are things that are unlawful that sometimes we want to do. We hate that, Lord. So strengthen us by the power of the Spirit. Give us faith in your word to obey it. Give us the strength to obey it in all these circumstances 
so that we would exhibit our love to Christ, our loyalty to Christ, and that by our lives we could confess Christ faithfully before men and keep your testimony and be faithful to your covenant. In Jesus' name, amen.